Good morning. Um, so, talk to you about some of this this morning. Uh, my shoulders feel miserable <laughs> right now. Uh, my back and my hands and my elbows and everything else that I have. We did a, me and a friend did a, like a hundred kilometer canoe race yesterday. It was 13 hours of canoeing. I got tricked into it. Here's what happened. He, it's, it's, um, Tovin has a little best friend named Desmond, Desi. And so him and Des were playing and we were all hanging out, the five of us or whatever. Six, six of us, because I have two sons. Seven of us, because I have a wife as well. So we, all of us were hanging out. And um, uh, he was like, hey man, um, I've seen a canoe on your truck a few times. Do you go out in it like every day? And I was like, no, I'm just lazy. And I put it up on the truck to take the boys out and I just like leave it there because I'm ridiculous. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I heard about this little canoe race that happens just like that. This little canoe race that happens in Austin, I think it's like 20 miles or something. Like, I mean, you should do it. And I was like, I mean, that's a long way. He's like, is it? Is 20 miles a long way? And I was like, that sounds like a long way to me. I was like, how long would that take? And he's like, oh, it's probably like a couple of hours. And I was like, I think that's farther than that. And I was like, but you know what? Let's do it. That'd be a fun thing to do. So he signs us up and pays and sends me the information. It's not 20 miles. It's 66 miles. And it takes like a day to do this. And I was like, man, I don't know if we can do this. He's like, oh, sure we can. Surely we can do this. I was like, no, surely we cannot. Like, I'm, I'm like, I don't know that we can really do that. And he was like, oh, I mean, let's take the canoe out and train a little. And I was like, like for, for what? Like, how do you train for that? So we took the canoe out for an hour twice, me and him did, to like practice our J-stroke, which neither one of us can do. And we go and we're like, well, it'll be fun, you know, whatever. So we go, and uh, <laughs> our canoe did not look like any other canoe. Like it's, our canoe is like for dads that go fishing in a canoe. There's wooden paddles that are like vintage, you know what I mean? Like they're not for this. And so one lady passed us, not doing at all what we were doing. Her paddling looked way different than mine. Like she was going fast, and I was enduring this race. And she goes, well, look at your canoe. That looks fun. And I was like, oh, it's not very fun. It's not very fun. And she goes, and your paddles and everything. Look at you two. That is cool. And we were like, no, it's not. Don't do that. I was like, she's my least favorite person in the race right now. Maybe she'll tump over or something. Uh, but we made it. We got very last, but we made it. 13 hours. And that's as much as I'm going to put my arms up. Just what I did just then, that's the last of that. No more of that at all. Um, I just want to tell you that. Let's not pat my back or anything. No, no, touch my arms after this. Okay. Um, all right, let's turn to Acts 18. <laughs> Asher, before we get there, we got Denny's like, tell me everything about the race. I was like, it would take 13 hours to tell you everything. <laughs> he just goes, go. And I was like, so we started in the morning. You know, it was, it was ridiculous. Oh, okay, so last week, <laughs> Brian talked about Acts 17, which I'm jealous. It is my very favorite chapter in Acts, is Acts 17. Um, I love when they go to, like, Paul at the um, Areopagus, or Areopagus, whatever you want to say, in um, Athens is absolutely my favorite thing. Um, so, I'm not going to redo it because he did great. I just am sad that I missed it. Um, but, 
so give me the rundown of what else happened in Acts 17. Paul goes to Athens, starts his conversations there by himself, which is, which is rare, right? I'm sure we discussed that. It's rare for him to do that. He didn't wait on his people. He just kind of went for it in town, which is very different than he normally does. But what else happened in Acts 17? Let's get an update. You can go ahead. You're ready. <laughs> Do what now? They did cause a riot. That is correct. By who? By who though? Who caused the riot? From where? Like the next town over, the last town, right? They chase him out of town and they follow him. Like, we're going to cause you trouble elsewhere, right? That seems to happen religiously a lot. Let's, let's be real honest. That happens religiously a lot, you know? People don't like something. And it's not good enough that they just reject it. They have to, like, cause problems everywhere with it, right? Intriguing. What else? What else happens there? Where else do they go in Acts 17? That's the easy one. You can look at the headings and just see where they go. It is, because, because let's, let's look at that another way, because you're exactly right. Did he start by telling them all the things you worship are incorrect? Was that his, like, I'm going to set my feet on this. I'm going to argue what you're doing is wrong, right? Is that where he started? No, he actually started by saying, ooh, this one thing you're doing is right, didn't he? I love that you worship an unknown God. I know him, that elf. Like, I know him. I know him, Right? He's like, I know that one. I can tell you all about this one, right? Which I think is beautiful. I think it's beautiful to walk into another culture, another marketplace, and not rail against the culture, right? But find something in the culture you can say, let's love here. I, we, we can do this here. Let's, we have a point of commonality, and it's this unknown God. Let's discuss it. And he does it well enough that the town, someone important walks by, or someone knows someone that's important, they say, you should come here. Right? Come to the area of Africa. We share ideas here. La, la, la. So he does this. Some agree. Some disagree. And then as he leaves, he goes to um, Corinth. Look in 18 verse 1. After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, do we know anything about Aquila and Priscilla yet? We've talked about them at different times, not this time. Do we know anything about them? Are they the ones in Romans at the end? Um, yes, they are going to be. I'm almost positive in Romans. They also possibly, Priscilla, the wife, possibly wrote some of Hebrews. Possibly. Like it's a debatable thing if it's them two or Apollos. Probably not Paul, but in that, in that vein. Um, very learned, both of them, probably. Very educated for their time. Um, and both of them, which is important, uh, were educated for their time, which was rare. So they, it mentions them a few times because of that, even. Because Priscilla was also educated and wrote and was like, 
respected in the thinking world in that day, which was pretty incredible. So meets this couple there, but they do this in Corinth. Does anyone know anything about Corinth at all? We can, let's just discuss cultural norms of Corinth for a little bit. Anybody? Do we know what kind of city it was? Like what's the, what was the culture, nationality, all that stuff? Obviously Roman, right? I tend to lump all the cities under like a sort of stereotype in my mind. Which is what? Uh, which is wrong, but like Greek, Roman, multiple deities, probably an amphitheater, probably multiple temples of different Greek gods. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Corinth is like a port city or not. Or if it's it was. There's two major ports there. Yeah. So... It seems, and we don't, we don't know a lot of those things now. We don't talk about them very much. But Paul does go to places where there's a lot of movement. Um, it, it's not, and it's not always the most important city for like culture necessarily that Paul goes. Sometimes he does. But a lot of times it's the most, it's the cities that find themselves being very diverse. Um, uh, Thessalonica is like that as well. Extremely, extremely diverse. So you have these cities that are, that are places of movement, places of trade, and usually with important ports. Corinth had two overly important um, in the ancient world ports that had shipments come in and go out all day and night, every day, forever. So it was popular for that reason. Also, in that way, you would have a place with that much movement um, uh, between peoples, you would have movement in thought also, and in culture and religion. Okay? So that's correct. Um, what else? Let someone else keep going. What else about Corinth do we know? And you're kind of right. You can kind of just guess Roman things at this point and be pretty close. You can be like, I bet you there was other gods. You're like, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you there were some Jews there. That's too, true, too. Yeah, that's fine. So the <laughs> Public baths. Yes, also true. Also true. Amphitheater, more than likely. Uh, yeah. So you have all these things. But this is, these are some interesting things. Corinth... Um, wasn't necessarily a place of an overly famous um, temple. They had them everywhere, but it wasn't like the main, you know, mythological place of blank necessarily at this time. There was at other times in Corinth. Um, Things Corinthians were known for would be kind of worshiping way, not way outside the box, but just like intriguing gods. So they worshiped ancient Egyptian gods there, which was interesting for that time. Not because other people didn't, but because they like thought it intriguing enough to do it and to like do that fairly well, apparently. So if you were Egyptian and you were in the Roman world like traveling or doing you'd be like, Oh, we should stop by Corinth. They worship, you know, the sun god there. Let's do that together, kind of thing. So it was they were they were like curious about like interesting. They were like and this is a terrible way to describe this, and some historian may be like, You're absolutely incorrect, and that's fine. Sounds like hipster god worshippers to me. Like the, I'm going to find the one that no one knows and then be like, that's what we love here. You know, so it, was, it was that kind of thing. From what I'm reading, it sounded like that to me, to be real honest. And that should not be on video or the audio thing at all because someone's going to be like, you're so ridiculous. But it's true-ish. That's true-ish. Also, a very, very, very well-known place for sexual immorality. Even in the Greek and Roman world, people would call them immoral in that way. Um, the next examples I'll do loosely because kids, so if you went to another, um, 
if you went to another Roman city and you either offered or expressed yourself in an overly like exaggerated, depraved way in that area of your life, they would joke and say, they must be from Corinth. They would say that. In all these other cities, you would have that. Also, if you went somewhere and engaged in promiscuity that you weren't used to, but you like really engaged, they would say, oh, that party Corinthianized you. They would say that. That was like a common, funny, Corinth was known for this. Like that was their, that was their way. That was, that was, they were proud of this. They expressed their city culture in this way. But that's, that's how, for the most part, it seems historians seem to think Corinthians lived. It's in a lot of literature. It's in writings about their city. It's in writings in other cities when they express people. Well, you know he was also from Corinth, is what they would say about some people. That doesn't mean he like worshiped obscure gods. That means he practiced things we weren't even comfortable with in the Roman world. We, we did not understand and he went all in on those things. He's Corinthian, right? That's what they would say. So you have these different cultures in this different place. And again, a place of, of movement, of trade. That's where they go, okay? So that's where we find ourselves. So he leaves Athens, goes to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Here's we find out. Here's where we find out that Paul made tents, right? Um, has anyone else heard this? That he was a tent maker. So he apparently was this like craftsman type of person who who I don't. They doubt he did this like from when he was a kid, uh, mostly because he was from like an elite learning class and was educated so well, he probably didn't have time to like, learn how to make something when he was a boy. Um, but as he did, started his missionary journeys and traveled, they did not always rely on money from other churches, uh, just because of logistically it would take a long time to get there. Usually the churches they started were overly in poverty, and the people there weren't usually wealthy, so that would stop that a lot of times. And then um, the church in Jerusalem didn't always necessarily as a collective, agree with exactly how they were doing things so they might not sin as much, right, for Paul and his folks. So they worked, and he made tents and sold tents in the marketplaces. A lot of folks think, even though it's not said, when he finds himself in the market in dialogue, it might be because he is also trying to buy materials to make things or he's trying to sell tents, trying to sell like what he makes. So he finds out, you're a tent maker as well? Me too. Let's, you know... Make tents together? I don't know. I don't know how that works. But anyway, they're going to they're gonna spend time together because they're of the same trade. Maybe they're going to work together. Maybe they'll, he'll help them with their craft. Maybe they'll help him with his. Um, and so they do this. He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, is this his common practice? Go to a city, find someone with commonality, Attempt to stay there, right? And then go where to teach? The local synagogue, right? Go teach Jews and the um, Greeks that would worship in the same ways or at least be sympathetic to Jewish culture and Jewish ways, and he would begin to teach there. This was what it seems they attempted to do everywhere they went. You would start with the people 
that, that he knew, that he was comfortable teaching, that would be welcoming, that he would share a history with, that he would share a culture with, and he would want desperately for them to know the Messiah. He would want desperately to know that Jesus was, in fact, this, this coming that they were looking for. And so he would start there. This was common. He did it all the time. And that's usually where the branching off of his ministry would be. So he starts there this time. Um, and when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent. And now I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there. And he went to the house of a man named Titus, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, for you go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And here's what I want us to, to read again. Um, let's read what the Lord says to Paul in a vision again. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Here is, like overwhelmingly, when I read this passage at all, and when I talk about it, and when you think about these letters that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, you have this city that is not just jokingly known for its depravity. It's like well-known, commented on in literature, um, attributed to people who are in even the Roman and Greek world as like abusive and depraved and wicked in, in many ways. And Lord says to Paul, this is where you need to be, for I have many in this city. The city is not what you may think it is. There are people in this city who are devout, who love me. There are people in this city who are ready to hear what you have to say. There are people in this city ready and willing for redemption. There are people in the city who are going to really change the world. Corinth is this interesting place especially with Priscilla and Aquila and for the different believers that come here, they, and I know there's not a make the most difference or make the least difference or anything like that, they are very influential in the early Christian world of them spreading um, the good news of, of the gospel very educated, very eloquently, um, so that other Greeks and Romans might understand um, in ways that are very learned and culturally um, accepted by the ancient world, and they came from Corinth. And again, Corinth really was known for not being the best place. And I'm just like overwhelmingly caught by just this obedience and this understanding of Paul that there were no best and worst places for the gospel. There were no like more ready people to hear because they had their business figured out or they would obviously be influential, right? There was no like 
whoa, they're so far from coming to the gospel, I don't have time to spend the time that they need to get them ready for it. You know what I mean? There was none of that. There was, there was no prior judgment of, they'll never accept what I have to say. There was no, oh, they're too far gone, or this person has already been to teach this, or, you know, yes, but culturally we won't even understand each other. There was none of that. It was only the Lord telling Paul again, oh, this city is perfect for you. There are many people in this city that are my people. I have many here. And I wonder for us, as we like, we probably don't discuss our friend groups and our neighbors and our softball teammates at church like that, but maybe in our homes or maybe in passing or maybe ironically, you know, to save us from being judgmental. I wonder who we discuss that way that we say, oof, they are far gone. Or, oh, they are different from us. Can't take our kids to their house. Right? Or, oh, we go to their parties. I have no idea what is going to happen with clenched teeth. It'll be fun. <laughs> you know. And we, we in like, steering clear for our own moral sake or steering clear for whatever sake, we, we might not see people who are God's people. We, people just may seem so different than your upbringing or my upbringing that we may view them as too different to hear from us, to accept love from us, right? To be able to be loved in a for real friendship that turns into a beautiful, like, lifelong relationship with our family. We, we just write them off, and we, we write the subset of people and culture and neighbors and whatever label you want to put in there, and we write them off as, they're not for us to reach, that's too different, or that would be way too hard, or, oh no, they would never accept, they are far gone, they are Corinthianized. No way. God seemed to say, the Corinthianized are my people. I have a lot in that city. That city is, is the place for the gospel. That city is going to totally change the world. Out of this city will be people who are raised to be some of the more holy and some of the more like sacrificial people in the world. Now, I'll, I'll say this too, very openly and okay. Paul in letters to the Corinthians over and over again is like, you are doing wonderful things. I love you, brothers and sisters. Y'all are wonderful. Your sacrifice is known throughout the world. Please with your immorality, though. <laughs> okay? So it's, it's not like, okay, it's not like God saying these are my people are like all the clean people in the city. We've got to know that. Paul later tells people, I'm, and I should have looked right before this, I think tells people in Corinthians, like, hey, don't marry your stepmother, man. You shouldn't do that. Like, don't get your stepmother to divorce your father so you can marry. That's not the way, please. That's like church folks, okay? That's, he's like, that's, that's the old way. I know that's like normal enough. Please don't, though. Please, I need you to stop that right away. That's still, they're themselves. And God says they're mine. And Paul says, oh, they're, 
again, in Corinthians, talks about how sacrificial they are, how much they give, how they love well. I mean, and part of him teaching 1 Corinthians 13 is acknowledging that a lot of them live that. These are, these are people, Paul said, you should stay right here. Yes, the people like you, the Jews, they're reviling you. They're kicking you out. They're, they're laughing at your Jesus. Wash your hands of them. Say, fine, fine, nice enough people who are my brothers and sisters and look like me and are socially acceptable in my circle and I could take to any party and introduce to any friend. Fine by me. I, I, I'm not yours, though. You are not like me. These others, they, they, are, they are with me. We can do this together. I'll be one of their people. And I wonder, some of us, if we just are uncomfortable being with someone else's people, being called a friend by someone else, you know? And, and I just, I wonder for us, for Lily and I, and how I feel like at times how like, tame our life has become in a lot of ways, which is fine, you know, like in theory, it's fine. But I wonder, so here's the deal. I'll say this. We, I was like not going to, so here's the deal. Lily and I were talking the other day about um, just our neighborhood now. It's changed since we've lived there. We don't have drug dealer neighbors anymore. We, we have like, actually, hey, here's what we have. We have like socially acceptable drug, drug neighbors now. And that's, you know, that's the way, that's like. Austin, but that's what we have now. We don't have like the socially unacceptable, I need this to live, and so I'm going to sell it to everyone because I have to live neighbors anymore. That's honest truth, just very openly. Um, and, and we laughed about that because we're like, man, we miss Aaron and Milo and those guys come into our house to like give us a bottle of wine because when we moved here, we didn't call the cops on them and stuff. Like That was really fun. And like really important to us and all this stuff. So we were talking about, well, where in Austin would we move and are we still comfortable with that? Like what would we do now? And we were absolutely being very honest. That was like a time for our past. And it was so hurtful to us. And we could argue like, well, yeah, we have two little kids now. Yeah, we have this now. It's like different. And we could, you know, our neighbors still need love from us that comes from Jesus himself also, which is very true. That's Obvious. But our friends that our neighbors now look so much like us, act so much like us, drive the same class of car like us. I mean, it's like, it's, it's such a homogenous street these days, right? And we were honestly just caught by how comfortable we are with that and how we just don't want that to change even if we needed to. And about how the thought was, honestly, that we just need that to be, you know, status quo. It felt terrible, to be really honest. It felt terrible to, like, not want Austin's Corinthians to be our people. It cut me deep. And I don't, I don't know why that is. I don't know how that happens to us. You know, I don't know how it happened to us, you know. I don't know how it happens to the rest of you and me. 
I don't know if it's just because we're comfortable with the bars we like, you know, or we're comfortable with the, the diner we like that everyone, I don't know. I don't know what happens. But I know that we are missing in the Evers household life. We are missing God's people and other lifestyles in Austin. We're missing them. We are. And I think the church at East is missing some of God's people in different parts of our city, in different ways of our city, in different um, Corinthians actions of our city. That we're missing them. And I would hate to have not listened when God said, no, I need you here because I have my people here. And they will be your people too. And it will be exciting and they'll change the world with you. And it's going to be the church you seem to write to and gravitate to the most. Right? And I don't want us to miss that in our search for comfort, in our search for um, stability, in our search for um, friendships, in our search for promotions or any of that. I just don't want us to. I don't want, I don't want Lily and I to anymore. Um, and I just, I, I want us to, to understand that together. Um, then what happens, we won't, we won't stay long on this next part. Uh, we can, um, when Gallo was proconsul of, of Acacia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. Again, the Jews make an attack on Paul. It's not the people of Corinth. It's the people that are like him, the people that he knows, the people that he's comfortable with. I'm not saying that at Jews. I'm saying that at his like people, right? Um, the people at his dinner party that used to laugh at the same things he did when he, when he brought, when he offered the gospel, when he offered something challenging, when he offered that there was a different way to other people and to them it caused problems and friction and difficulty and tension. Um, They brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galeo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept this complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. Like sees through it, he's like, I don't, I think you're lying to me. I think you're just upset because of your own culture and your own laws. So, I'm not dealing with this. Um, See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sothenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. Um, But no attention was paid to any of this. He said, "Govern yourselves. Please don't do this." So they beat the synagogue ruler that is like allowing this to take place. It's allowing the gospel to go to the Corinthians or it's allowing Paul to continue to say that Jesus is also the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, one with God and not just, you know, their, their problems with, with Jesus internally. Um, but again, we have this, this, this tension because of where they are and how they are clean of Corinth, the Jews are in this synagogue. They are clean of this. It is offered, though, to them. They revile it. It's not accepted or, you know, a minority of them accepts. And then it goes to these other people. So with us, here's what, here's what I would say to us. Here's what I would say to for real us. us. Um, 
It sounds terrible to say, um, where are the Corinthians of Austin? Because then that implies we're like judging the lifestyles of people in Austin, right? That's, and I know that. I know that's, that's sorry in itself, right? It's just not the way. But um, around you, around you are people that we have just distanced ourselves from. Around us are people that we have just said are not for us, are not our people, are someone else's responsibility, are someone else's people, um, or we've said, let them to their own devices, you know? We've, we do say that every day, by the way we approach people, by the way we, we, who we invite to everything we invite to, by how we spend our money, by where we, the whole thing, where we live, some of us. Um, how in the world do we change that? How do we attune ourselves to hearing the Holy Spirit say, oh, don't be afraid of being one with these people because I have many here. How do we find ourselves collectively as an us? How do we find ourselves there listening? Saying to the Holy Spirit, okay, should we stay? Should we go? Should we go here? Should we go there? Should we make this priority? Should we make this priority? Where, where should we leverage our resources? Where should we leverage our time? Where should we leverage our love? Where should we leverage our, our hopes and our prayers and the whole thing? And I think for us, we as an us have to do that together and say, Yes, it's more comfortable at the synagogue. Every, every church plant in the city would love to just fill its place with mature Christians from other churches. <laughs> it's the, that's the easiest way. Maybe not easiest, I shouldn't say it like that. That's like, that's like a good way, right? Make a church more attractive than their church in a certain way so they come here, you know? But is that us? Because I don't feel like it is. I feel like we want to be the kind that listen and go take love somewhere else. That don't write a group off because they're the lepers of our culture or the Christian subculture or our society. That doesn't seem to be us. That's hopefully not us for the love. And so, as an us, we need to ask to be able to do that. We need to ask to have the fortitude to do that. The patience to do that. The willingness to, to be in other houses. To invite other folks to your own. Um, I just want us to do that together. So, let's pray together. Let's stand up. We'll pray together. We'll enter a time of communion. <clears throat> and I can't help but just be... As, we, as we're going to go take communion... Um, I bet you, uh, I mean, communion didn't look like this for sure, if Paul was leading it, but that meal, that Jewish cultural meal that is turned in this Passover Seder and the whole deal, and we've stolen things from that, and we've stolen things from this, and we've done these things to create communion, 
But I wonder what, how beautiful communion would have looked in Corinth. Um, and I wonder what it, what it looks like for us when we really know each other, how beautiful it is for us, knowing the differences I have with each of you and knowing how we believe very differently, me and some of you, and, and how our backgrounds are very, very different and how our, our hopes are different. And I just want us, as we take communion, to focus on that and not to say focus on the differences so that we're not one, but focus on the differences and we are still even one. It's kind of what I'm getting at. And how beautiful that can be. And how the Holy Spirit in that way is beautiful among us. And has, has kind of bound us together through communion. Through the sacrifice of body and blood has made people in us. Um, I just want us to focus on that this morning as we take communion.